This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Success hinges on the ball going into the opposition's net once more than it goes into your own. Danger here! Danger here! And the Soviets In other words, we inflict our game on the people. Let's <laughs> go! Cuckoo land, man. Cuckoo land. Tommy King! Give it up! Alright, Brian, so uh, thanks for being part of the podcast. Former teammate of mine, I suppose. So we go back to your career. Trip to Man City to start with. Youth team. What, what, what's that like going over to City? How, how did that come about? Um, I suppose how it came about was... Um, you know, my my first sports would have always been hurling and football, really. Like, and, I, and and soccer would have been third when I was growing up. You know, um, it was by chance I ended up in goal. I think the goalkeeper didn't turn up one day, and and I asked they asked me to go in goal, and I kind of had a, a hissy fit about it, and I was like, no, I'm not going in goal, and I didn't want to play in goal. I went in goal anyway, and I played well, and I kind of dipped in and out of it for the next year. I think I was about eleven or twelve at that age, and uh, and stuff that I, I first went in goal and. Didn't really. I prefer to be running around our field, to be honest. And um, you know, as a, as a progress, then obviously uh, I played for my local club, Dunmore, uh, down in Dunmore East, and um, you know, for a season or two. And then a city club came in, Bohemians and Waterford came in, and asked me would I go and play. And I like, you know, I I was kind of like I wasn't sure, and I didn't I didn't go in at first, and then I eventually went in. I just started getting trials, and then. I honestly looked at the trials going over. Never thought in a million years I'd get a contract with a, at a club in England. I'd know it wasn't a dream of mine as a as a kid. You know, it was more it was more um, the other sports to be honest. And then I got offered a contract basically off Man City, and I was like, you know, will I do it or won't I do it or whatever? It was a month into the sixth year, and uh, I was like, what what should I do? Like you know, and um, it was just probably too good of an opportunity to turn down and. Um, it just went from there, really. Like, I think I was just turned just turned seventeen, you know, in um, October nineteen ninety nine. I'm sure we're going back. We're going back a long time there, you know. But you know, it was an experience. That, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the last one I win as well. Um, uh, but look, it's it, it, again. It wasn't. I said it wasn't ambition. I thought like I had a. I signed a one year YTS. Well, at that stage when I signed, it would have been probably a nine month YTS and then a three year pro. And. Um, I thought, like, look, this is great. I'll give it a go and, you know, see can make something of it. And, um, you know, that was that was the start of, of a journey, I suppose. I suppose when you look at that City team, there's a lot of keepers there you might have walked with, like Mickey Weaver, um, Callum Nash. Was, was Seaman or Schmeichel left the club when you were there at the time? Schmeichel, Schmeichel was there on my last, on his last year before he retired. Um you know, he was uh, the walking wounded then, like he barely, he didn't train a lot. Um, he was more focused on on games at that stage, but um, but mainly the ones I worked with would have been Nicky Weaver and Carlin Nash. Tim Flowers was there on loan for six months. The ones that he, like, he was very good to learn off as well in that, but 
Um, you know, I was very lucky in a way that I was in and around, like, I was pretty much, I was training all the time with the first team keepers at 18 years old, like, you know, and it kind of gave me kind of a hunger for for going in and, and trying to prove, I suppose, them lads there that I fitted in, like, you know, and, and work hard. Look, I was way, I was way off the, the keeper I am there at that age, but you're like, it's, it's all a learning process, you know, I was in the Irish underage teams that had that experience of, of, of playing against better players, I suppose, as you're growing up and that, but to train with them every day was was a great experience. And one of them got injured and I was on the bench suddenly in the well the old division one as a championship now, but um I think I think it was either Nicky Nicky done his knee, I think, and um I was on the bench for 20, 25 games, I think, or something like that season, which was incredible for mm. for for my age. Like, you know, and um, that was Kevin Keegan who who put me on, who to be honest with you, to this day I'd still think as a young player coming through, like he was incredible. Like I think he's probably one of the best managers I've seen deal, deal with the young boys coming through the club. Like always made you feel wanting to be part of it. Um, and just like, well, look, he gave me a chance to be on the bench and he always believed that like a player probably wasn't ready to play at that age, to be honest. But, you know, I was more like counting down the clock and going like, hurry on, like we're winning, you know, yeah. and, uh, like hopefully the keeper stays fit, you know, because it is daunting at that age to go in and, and with little experience, I suppose. But look, that was like, it's a totally different Man City to the club I was at, to the club it is now, you know. So you only have to look around the, the facilities of what they have now is is incredible. Like, Do you know, Keegan, there, I know you're talking about him. What kind of, he obviously did going really well with Newcastle, all that. What made him stand out as a manager? What was his special trade? I know you said he got the young fellas involved, but like walking with him in the training ground, walking with other players outfielders, what did he do? You just thought he was the best. Like he had that confidence in himself. Like I think, look, he was a hell of a player. Like and, it's, and you'd say like his managerial records at the clubs he's managed and um, internationally as well. Like you know, it's not a bad CV he has really. But mm. I just felt I just felt as a an eighteen year old when he first came into the club that he made everyone feel special. Like he got involved in everything. Like we like to be head tennis being playing the gym and he he set up like a, a head tennis league. Like he was very good at it in fairness, but and and he was hard to beat, but. Like he used to like get, make sure all the young lads are playing and not just the first team lads are playing it. And then and out in the training pitch, like he used to join in on a lot. He he joined in in the shooting sessions and spent like he could be finished training in, like as me as a goalkeeper and the other goalkeepers would be in doing a shooting session for half an hour, forty five minutes after everyone else has gone in. He'd be working with the strikers and working on their techniques and everything. But there was no airs and graces with him. I thought I just thought like you know, ultimately like look. He, 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 he got moved on as well at Man City but at, at the time period he was there I thought like you know he got the club promoter and, and, and did alright in the kind of the first year um, and that he in the Premier League but he, he was just um, he was just a very very good man manager like I just it's hard to describe you'd, you'd have to be there with him to understand it properly um, but it's just it was just very enjoyable and, 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 and again it gave there was a few Irish lads there like Glenn Whelan Willow Flood Paddy McCarthy all went on because they were in around the same environment. You know, Joey Barton was there. Like, just talking about the lads that I came through the academy with that, you know, that went on. Uh, Stephen Elliott. Um, you know, there's, there's a hell of a, a group of players there that would probably had the same experience with them. Like, you know, um, maybe not the same, you know, same idea of him as a manager. But from speaking to the lads in the past, they, I think we all we all enjoyed our time there and made feel very welcome. So, 
it was a good start. It was a great start for me to to be there, and um, it gave me it gave me a hunger to to, to improve and uh, and give it a right go, really. Uh, we mentioned there Schmeichel, like arguably probably the best goalkeeper to play in the Premier League, and I know he was walking wounded, but like you hear stories about him. Does he interact with you a lot? But did he did you have much interaction with him? Because I've heard stories that he's very quiet, and you know sometimes when you're an older player, you're like, I'm not helping one of these younger lads come in and take my spot. Um, and I never felt that with him. Like maybe I think with Carlo Nash and Nicky Weaver were there as well with him at the time, and. I know they didn't like him when he trained because he like he'd probably come out maybe twice a week and train with us and that. But mm. it was kind of fun. it was one of them where when he came out, our sessions changed and it more it was like what he wanted to do rather than we what what everyone else was doing week in week out. You know, when when Peter was there, it was all like at his pace and um, we were basically servers for him. Like you know, um, you know, was I a big fan of him in terms of as a person? probably not um you know i've heard it before he came i heard that like look the arrogance and the you know but you can't He's question right to be arrogant though yeah like he, like there's no problem there's no problem have, having the arrogance i suppose you need a little bit of that in 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 any walk of life you know it's 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 just probably how how i saw the other the senior players um deal with him and um kind of interact with him like you know kind of I was in awe of him. I was like, yeah. I was, I was like, oh my god! Like I'm training with Peter Schmeichel, like you know, little, yeah, <laughs> uh, little old me from Ireland, like you know, kind of at eight, nineteen years old, kind of thinking, oh my god, like um, but it was, I always feel that like he was hard to even to my age, like I would never, I wouldn't have learned too much off him in terms of his techniques. Like there's not many other goalkeepers, bar probably Casper now that probably play the same style as him like in terms mm-hmm. of how he spreads himself and how he how he deals with certain things but I suppose just to have him there and to see him training and stuff and see him in games was 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 incredible really like you know even as I said like he wasn't you know he looked like he couldn't move Monday to Friday then come out on a Saturday like he'd probably be man in the match really like you know and um, you know he was he was captain at the time I think for that season he was there as well and that but Again, it was it was another it was another learning curve for me, like and and how to how to do things and how sometimes not to do things. I suppose. There's a long move to Peterborough where you made your debut. What was that like? Your first senior debut? I was gas. It was actually it was a weird one. Uh, Barry Fry was the manager, and anyone who knows mm, Barry Fry, character, he? he's a character. Yeah, like so. Um, it was an emergency loan. It was the last last game of the season. Um, it was meant to be the last three or something, but they thought the keeper was out. But he kind of they they managed to wrap them up, and then um, it was basically for one game. So I remember arriving down the day before, trained. Um, I think they were mid table, so it wasn't it was a game really for nothing. It was Brentford away, and um, I remember pulling up, and I was like going uh, talking to him, trained away, went greatness, and I went to his office after, and he was like, "Look, this is how we play. This is what we're going to do. Just go out and enjoy yourself. No pressure on you." Um, and I remember going, coming the next day and I saw Gaffer, like, I'm shooting back to Ireland the next day after the game. Can I, can I get someone to bring my car down to London for me? And then I can go straight to the ferry pretty much the day after the game. Like, and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah. So he goes, get to this hotel and we'll get, we'll get one of the coaches or one of the um, staff to come off and he'll drive your car and he'll, he'll be there for you after. So I remember pulling up to the hotel and going, someone come out and the next minute the bus drives off. 
So I had nobody's nobody's number, no one to ring. Like it's no, there was no WhatsApp group back then. Like so I'm thinking, going, like, what do I do here? Like so I ended up following the bus the whole way to the, the stadium. Like thinking, going, like, do they even know I'm here? Like you know, and uh, I had to find. Yeah, did you not get a phone call or anything? Like, no. <laughs> I don't. So I don't they were just going to the game without you. Yeah, like I was like, well, what do I do here? It's probably my own fault for not getting in the car and going, is someone going to drive for me or do I drive myself or whatever? But because mm. uh, it, it's kind of over there, like you said, they don't, many of us don't like cars driving to the game, but it was just yeah. like, I just felt they forgot about me. And I, I pulled up to the stadium, Brentford's old old stadium now, and there's no car park there. You have to find at the park in the street, like hope for the best with it. And, I remember coming in, then the turnstile saying, I'm a player, like, I, I'm, I'm playing. And I uh, kind of convinced someone to let me in. And I went in and I remember walking in and he was like, where were you? And I was like, I was like, I was driving behind you. I was trying to flash and wondering what was someone going to stop or whatever. But anyway, look, I went out and played and um, uh, I think we drew the game. I think it was nil-nil or something like that. Or maybe it was definitely a draw, I think, anyway. But um, that was a good experience, you know, in, 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 a, in a kind of a an old style football ground back then, I suppose was, it, it was good. Like, you know, and then just a uh, little spell at Swansea. How did you find that? Again, like, I suppose, you know, how it came about going to Swansea was, it was a, was a strange one, I suppose. Um, like I was at Man City, at the, obviously at the time and, and Kevin Keegan offered me a two year extension to my contract, you know, and I had, a, I had an mm. agent at the time who, you know, look, I, I don't have many regrets in my career. I think everything happens for a reason. You make decisions and that. But I had an agent time that didn't inform me correctly of the, the like, I knew they were going off a contract, but he, like, he, he took two or three weeks to come back to me and say, oh, they have a contract there for you. Like, so I was kind of chasing it going, it's rotten there. And he was like, no, 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 no. And Keegan said, no, we've sent the, the offer to your agent. Can you make a decision by the end of the week? And I was chasing and couldn't. And then he was telling me like, oh, look, I think it's time. We, we have a club interested in the like, And uh, I was like, all right, like, what's the interest? And he said, oh, they want, they're looking for um, a first team goalkeeper to be either number one or number two, like they need two goalkeepers. So I was like, all right, it could be a good opportunity maybe, like, you know. Um, and it was the club of Sheffield United. And I knew somebody that was scouting for Sheffield United. So I was like, something's not right here. And um so basically, basically what the agent was doing was he was saying to go back to Man City looking for more money for himself and more money for, for me. But I didn't have a clue what they were even offering. I just assumed there'd be a little bit more and got called into the office anyway. Um, Man City said, look, your agent's roll a letter. It's a bit ridiculous. I think, look, I think we wanted you to say, but we clearly can't agree on something. I'm like, I knew nothing about it. Like, you know, I'm just like, going, like I said, mm. I want to stay. Like, can we, can we get it done? And he goes, look, it's too late. Like, we've... The date's gone on the the contract to be signed, like, and I was like, right, okay. So got rid of that agent anyway. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but like that, but that was disappointing. Like that was like I was like, oh, well, I had a, a two year development there at, at City, like to continue learning, getting better, and, and and around a good environment, you know, and um, you know, and then lucky enough, I suppose, you know, I was left suddenly left without a club, and um. 21 and I was thinking where, where the hell am I going to go and lucky enough Brian Flynn who was the manager at Swansea um, he obviously had seen me play some reserve team football because he, he used to be manager at Wrexham and he obviously we'd, we'd played them in friendlies and stuff and I think I played against a couple of his teams and stuff and friendlies and I probably did quite well so I went there anyway and um, 
it was it was a big drop down for where I was at. Like it was down in, in the Division Three, um, which would be League Two now, I suppose. Yeah. And um, I was like, right, I'm starting from scratch again. Like you know, going into men's football properly. Um, you know, it's down to me now. You know, so played a number of games, and I remember going away with Ireland once or twice, and I missed one or two games, and then I didn't get back in the team, and then we were in the under twenty World Cup. Um, which was moved to December in Dubai for some some reason with Ireland, um, and I went away for a month there. So, like, it was a stop start kind of first year there, and 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 then uh, Kenny Jacket came in as manager, and you know, like I always felt like no matter what what club I was at, I always go in and train right, go in and train properly, and 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 learn every day and get better every day, and, and try to be the best trainer, especially in the goalkeeping department and that. Like, but I just never seemed to go for me no matter what I did like think we win in 4-3 and the manager would be telling me like oh you're going to get we'll get you in this week or we'll get you in next week look just be patient and like it was just never it, it, again it was just a never um, never going to happen for me fully there like the club had a bit of success I suppose and obviously they've kicked on since but um, you know again he asked me did I want to stay or did I want to go and I just said look I think it's best for me to go I don't think you're going to play me I don't think I'm going to get any games here so um and to be honest with you, the level I was at, I was like, oh, well, if, if I'm not playing at this level, I think it was League One, the guy would have got promoted, would have been in League One. I was like, well, like I don't see the point of being being there. Like, you know, it's not like you're in a Premier League club where you, you might be a bit more satisfied being a number two or something or number three maybe at times. But um, yeah, so I left, I ended up leaving there like, um, and, and, and taking a chance that my next club would, would be the one that I play some games. What made you decide to come back to Ireland? Um, I think always like I was always a bit homesick being away like it was always a little bit of like you know not that you felt like you're missing out what's going on at home but it's just like like you know what it's like over there times that you're kind of sitting in there you go home in the evening and, and it's just you and four walls really like you know times have changed now where you have WhatsApp and you have Skype and you have video calls and you can it's probably a bit easier to be away from home now like you know um, but back then I was kind of like you know, I suppose at that time at Swansea, like, I suppose what you're earning and stuff as well, like, like, was it enough to keep me over there? And it was like, like, you know, you're not going to be able to retire on that. Like, you're not going to be able to, um, like, save a lot as well, like, in terms of what you're going to be earning every week and what you're coming away with. And that was a factor as well. And what made me come back to Ireland was I was in a hotel in Bristol with my agent. I'd agreed to, I hadn't signed it, but I'd agreed to sign for Bristol the next morning. Bristol City and um, I just remember in the hotel and I was chatting to, at home to the family and stuff and I was like sitting in the room like just thinking to myself going I don't want to do this like uh, like, and it took me a while to be brave enough to my agent was in the kind of the next yeah. room or just down the corridor it took me a little bit of time to go like am I brave enough to turn down a contract like I don't have that in Ellis Concrete um, I don't didn't really have a name over in England at that stage in terms of you know your reputation kind of gets around you as you go on whether that means on the training pitch or or whatever about what you do on the on the match day or whatever but I remember knocking on my agent's door at 10 o'clock and I said I'm gonna go home like I don't I don't want to sign like he said what do you mean you don't want to sign you know it's kind of like what do you act like you know, know yeah Jesus, he must um, have been happy with you there like no, I was like, I was saying he's raging, obviously. Like, oh, he, w- he would have been, but he, he knew from the conversation he had, look, it, it wasn't it wasn't for me. Like, and, and to be honest with you, I just felt like, again, 
it wasn't much more than maybe what I was going to be on at, at, at Swansea and I was and I was told that look there was no guarantees you're going to play so I felt like I was going to be like uh, at worst probably number two like and did I want to do that and maybe waste another year without playing but um, and obviously the seasons are different between between Ireland and England so like that was I think that was June or July that I was I was about to sign for them and um, obviously the the season in Ireland was uh, probably three quarters way through at that stage so I was like well if you go he was going to tell me if you go home now like you probably won't be assigned with anyone until December mm. so like I was like yeah, I'm happy enough with that. Like, look, I'd rather do that than than sign a contract here and and, and not be happy and, and and stuff like that. And just the next day, just went home, got on the ferry, and that was um, that was it. Like, and then obviously, you know, um, with my agent being Eamon Collins, like he had plenty of connections in Ireland. He said, look, if, if it's Ireland you want to go, we'll, we'll get you a club, but it'll be it'll be December sometime roughly that you'll have to probably maybe agree to sign with someone and. I remember I went in and trained with Shells a few times when Pat Fellin was there and and stuff like that. And uh, t- Shells were a little bit in turmoil with turmoil at the time with, with money problems like every League of Ireland club. But um, yeah, so like I was just biding my time. And then Pat left Shells and went to Derry. And I met Pat and he said, "Do you want to go to Derry?" And he said, "Look, Pat, I said um, if I go to Derry, like I might as well be back in England. Like it's yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's further away from from where I'm where I want to be. Like and." You know, it would have been a good, probably a good fit working with him. But um, but then obviously Bose came in, and um, you know, had had two and a half, three good years at at Bose, to be honest. Like, which really probably probably kickstart my career, to be honest. You know, by by going there. Did you think when you were coming back though, you were like, "That's the it. I'm not. I'll never go back over again. I've had my chance, and it's up now." Do you know, like, no disrespect, but like, if you're coming back, surely that's in your mind, thinking you've given up now. Yeah, like it was never, uh, even to this day, like I still never had a huge ambition to, to, to live in England, like, you know, or live in the UK, I suppose, that, um, you know, I suppose by signing for Bose, and it was the time when, when the league was spending a few quid on, on, on contracts and stuff, and especially after the first year I had, I, I think I don't, I, I think I had a very good first season there and, and basically like the contract doubled the second year or something like that. And I was like, well, look, if I'm earning this for the next 10, mm-hmm. 10 years or 15 years, like, you know, I, I don't need to go back to England. I'll be very happy at a decent enough wage. I can do other things. I'm, I'm an hour and a half from home and, you know, I can come and go as I please with that and, and a bit more, a bit more freedom. And, and to be honest, it was felt like, a club where I was really wanted, you know, and is really part of like now fair enough, you can argue the League of Ireland's not the Premier League or the Championship yeah. or League One, but I, but I was in League One in England and I've always said to myself, like I didn't want to go down too far down them lower leagues for too long. Like, you know, full yeah. credit to the lads that like, you know, when they maybe I know lads that played in the Championship and Premier League and they drop down the league and, and they're happy to go here, there and everywhere. That just wasn't me, like, you know, and when I went to Bose, it was felt really part of it. Obviously, little did I know that the economy was going about to crash a couple of years yeah. later, you know, and that was a big problem. Um, and that probably convinced me. And obviously, you know, after Bose, Ipswich came in for me, and um, mm-hmm. Roy, Roy was the manager, Roy Keane was the manager. And, um, you know, when he comes knocking, and I just felt like, look, I don't think the league is going to be, you know, going to be <laughs> fairly bad 
the the year after, and I was warned they were, they were looking for pay cuts and stuff like that. I was like, look, this is only going to get worse and worse. Like, um, I said, what do I do? Like, and I ended up, I ended up leaving. I suppose. How does that? Was that phone call go that Ipswich are in and Roy Keane is interested in you? Because obviously that's a huge compliment to someone like Roy Keane likes you. Oh, it was daunting, to be honest. <laughs> I, was just, I never shit myself as much when I first met him. Like, that was like, <laughs> how did that um, first meeting go? So, how was that? How was that? Uh, like, start, where did you meet him? Uh, so, I remember getting on the flight with my agent and we went over to, obviously over to Ipswich and... Um, it was probably our season had just ended, so it was November time. So obviously, I wouldn't be able to be eligible to play till January the first or whatever. So mm-hmm. I arrive over about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. They're out in the training pitch, so I'm brought out. Roy comes over, shakes my hand, and like I'm, I'm literally shaking, going, "Nice to meet you." Like think going to call him Roy or Gaff or Mister Keen or what they call him. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I was with the player liaison officer at the time, and he was bringing me around and showing me the train going. And I said, "Look, I'll, 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 we're out training, watch training for a bit, and then I'll come in and see you after." I was watching training anyway, and, and then the player liaison said, "Put me into his office." I'm sitting in Roy's office on my own, like I'm thinking, "Going, what do I do here? Like, how do I, like the whole way over?" I was like, "How do I approach him? How do I speak to him? Do I say nothing? Do I say a lot? You know?" And I was kind of like, you know, because obviously in many people's eyes, Roy's a hero in this country in terms mm. of what he did on the football pitch, you know, um, and then obviously being a volatile character and, um, you know, fairly opinionated. It's like, kind of like, well, this could go really well or really bad. Like, and I, and I always think first impressions are important when you meet a manager, like, you know, so obviously he, he came in and he just, he was just like talking to, it was basically at the start, it felt like, talking to a friend like I was surprised and I was like well, I actually feel comfortable enough here and I was like we were chatting away and he was like what like what's your ambitions and what do you want to do and look we've been following you a while and this and that and everything and mm. I was just like just telling him about like look I want to play and I want I want to do well and like obviously with you with you there and wanting me look you know I want to come over and give it a go and stuff and and, and all that kind of stuff but it was just <laughs> it was just sitting there and I was like so I pan came into my head for some reason, like and I remember just sitting there going, the, con- the way the conver- the way the way the conversation the way the conversation was going, it was kind of like um oh it was getting pertinent and he was talking about like oh you like if we come over here and play like he should be looking to get into the Ireland squad and then he mentioned uh, um Alan Kelly obviously who's the current goalkeeping coach at, at the time whatever but like that's how Saipan came up because Alan was saying because oh like fucking like I don't think he was his biggest fan rise whatever like obviously there's a bit of history there about what happened and. And I was like, ah, oh. I said, like, what happened? <laughs> Basically, said, what happened? Like, and he goes, and just goes, oh. no. Every, she goes, look, everybody knows what happened. And then that was, he didn't really say much. And I didn't, I was just kind of, I was getting braver with the conversation. It was just like felt normal and that. And, but I liked them. I liked from the get go. I liked them from the time I left mm. the club. I liked them. Well, actually, by the time he left the club, he was, he, he, he got sacked before I'd left. But it was just like, I'm actually going to be playing for Roy Keane here, like you know. So I went over in January, and the first game he put me on the bench, and um, it was Leicester away, and I um, was out in the warm up, and I tore my ankle ligaments in the warm up, like, and I was like, oh, here we go, like. And I remember, I remember going into the dressing room. Obviously, it was in the warm up, so it was normally the manager's the one left in the dressing room while everyone else is out doing yeah. the warm, whatever. And he was in doing his notes or whatever. And I came in with the vision. It's like, what happened to you, like? I'm thinking, going, 
he's going to think I'm a right plonker here. Like I've just literally come over and I'm injured now for him. Like cause I'm sitting up on the bench and I have these kind of, I got sent boots um, by Nike at the time. Like I managed to get a, a kind of a sponsorship with them and they were kind of blue and white ones. And I don't know what they were called, Tempos, 60s or 50s, or I don't know what they were back then. And I just remember looking at my boots thinking going, you're a, you're a goalkeeper like what the hell are you wearing them blue and white boots mm, yeah. <laughs> especially him with his Diodoras back in the day yeah. as well weren't they yeah so I always had them thoughts in my head going like he's just looking at me going like you're like you know what the hell have I brought over here like you know but um, but look I got it I got back in um, then about three or four weeks there I got fit I played to the end of the season I, and I think I did quite well but I suppose I suppose off the pitch then I was still I was still homesick and trying to adapt to being back over. Um it wasn't the easiest off the pitch you had a lot of time um on your own, I suppose, um over there. But you look you get on with it and then obviously came in pre-season, next season played a few games and then broke my ankle. Um and then about three weeks later Roy left, you know, and um I remember sending him a text message saying, Look, thanks for the opportunity and didn't expect to reply, but I, I got a reply off him saying, look, you never let me down and um, best mm. of luck with everything and, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, Roy, like, look, I'm sure it's been well documented documented about his time as manager at Ipswich and other clubs, I suppose. But, you know, he can be harsh on players. He can be, um, you know, he, he can make it feel Does very he small. harsh on you? Not really, because I think he, the one thing he always told me in first meeting, he... he, he, he he basically said there's, there's three things he looks for in a, in a player like um, be on time train hard and be respectful to everyone in the building and around you like mm. and he'd always said he said there's not too many players that he come across or he's managed that has all three like so I made sure that well, I think I'm that way anyway like but I made sure that I was in early in the morning training I was out, out on time in the training pitch I, I trained hard I did my best and then Look, he had no excuses. Even if he had a bad game, he'd have a go at you. Like, look, he, I remember him, yeah. like, I think it was across one time I came and punched it and they scored off the rebound or whatever. And he's like, just come and catch the ball. Like, and he was like, going, like, oh, you're in the gym every day doing squats and you, you can't get above a player and come and catch it. You have to, you're under pressure to punch it. I'm like, and I'm like, on, um, I think I, I kind of half bit back and I was like, oh, Jesus, like, I better not, better not do that again. But um, he, he kind of, I remember he pulled me after, said, look, Look, I don't think he did that often, but he kind of pulled me and just went like, um, "Look, I like that, and yeah, like I like that you were a bit fiery back at me. I don't, I don't see that enough in our dressing room, like you know." And it was by it was by accident really that I did it, to be honest. And I was like, oh, "I should have yeah. done it," but um, not many players really spoke back to him. Was kind of like he'd never he'd never scream and shout. Rarely he'd scream and shout. It was more kind of he would talk to you like we're talking now, and he would tell you how bad you are. You know, at times, and and, and if it, and if you were and if he felt you were weak at all, or a, or a character that he didn't like, and there was a, probably a lot of them in that squad that felt that he didn't like that, he'd he'd really go bad on you, like he'd really, you know, he'd really um have a go at you, like you know, I think I think it's documented that himself and or Damon Delaney, who we know, like um, they never really saw eye to eye, but I think it was more the fact that I think. Damo was from Douglas, I think Roy's from Mayfield, isn't it? So it's basically across the yeah. wall from each other. And so side, not side. Yeah, so like, and I think that was always it. Like, the, the, like you Cork lads have a thing about you that 
you know, they have it's that true. mental it toughness. Where, yeah, it's us against the world, or we're better than everyone else. I don't know what it is, but he just felt Dame. I'd always felt like Dame was like, Dame would be at the back of the bus going to the game with big white headphones and all that. And, like, and you could see Roy, like, mm-hmm. he pulled him up before, like, on, like, he didn't like that about him. And, and it was just maybe a little bit too flash from maybe and then maybe at times they were maybe mightn't have had the best game or whatever and, and, and Roy would maybe go at him a little bit or whatever but he wasn't the only player but I mean I look I, I still think like regardless of what happened there it was it was a hell of an experience you know and you know it was disappointing I was disappointed to see him go obviously but um you know you move on and and, and that was it really like but um you know I if he, if he rang me up tomorrow which is not at this stage is not going to happen but and asked me to go play for him, you know, it'd be hard to turn down again, you know what I mean? It's just, just for that experience, you know. Like, why do you think it didn't work for him at Ipswich? Because he done, he he was successful at Sunderland, but why, why didn't it work at Ipswich? I mean, you're a good squad there. Like, I was looking up some of the players, like you, Jimmy Bullard, Andres Toad, and all these kind of lads were there, like, as well. Why didn't it work? As much as he had uh, good players there, probably enough lads were... <sighs> They probably just had enough of how maybe they were treated and spoke to by him at times. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Roy's, Roy's career, like, look, he played the highest level. He won so much with Man United, um, did so much for Ireland and stuff, like Irish captain, played in World Cups, you know, and so on and so forth. World Cup, not World Cup, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I always felt, and you know, management's tough, like yeah, you have to give it a go to understand why things go well or things go bad. But I just always felt that he, like, if he had like a number two that was really strong with him and really trusting with him, that he could go right, right, not today, like, or give him a check, give give him yeah. a break today or whatever. Like Roy's thing was that, like, regardless, like if you win, it's everything great and all that. But he used to always do like if we lost the game, like you could be in the dressing for half an hour, forty five minutes afterwards, sitting there and your kit, like just and he's talking through the game and talking about like how bad everyone is and 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 stuff like that. I just feel at times if he had a if he had a stronger number two at times, I think sometimes he might be able to like look he he he'll he'll say what he has to say like and you, and you do listen to it. But I just think for a lot of players. He probably lost the dressing room a little bit, like, and like I couldn't get my head around it. I'm thinking, going like, like I suppose being Irish maybe as well. Like you're used to bollocking, you're used to yeah. getting a clip around the ear by your, your coaches, or no matter what sport you're in, you're used to kind of like. But I think we, like most of us have that kind of toughness in us that you go look, I'm going to prove a point to you, like if you're coming at me, like you know what I mean, or I'm going to prove you wrong or whatever. But I don't think there was enough lads there that that had that in them and. Like football's a funny game. Like lads are there on contracts and stuff, and they've agents. And if they're not happy, they'll if they're good enough, they'll they'll be able to get another move out of it. Like and probably a few of them didn't, a few of them didn't. But um, like there was, I remember this, this is probably how harsh it is. One story, I remember like um, it's a right back. He was Canadian. His name's leaving me at the minute, but it'll come back to me. And um, he basically played a few games, and, and Roy gave him a new contract, right? So he got a new. I think he signed a two or three year new contract, or whatever. And, um, he done quite well or whatever. So typical, I think it was twenty two or twenty three. So typical young lad. The next week, he drove in the brand new Range Rover, right? So in the Ipswich, in the Ipswich training ground, right? You drive in the gate and you have Roy's. Um, they have the kind of entrance and then the manager's office next to it, right? And it was always like, then blinds were like they kind of open and closed that yeah. way, like, and, and there's always one blind open if the rest of them are closed. The sun would be shining, but there's always one open. 
and that's when you knew like the manager was in, like you know, he was because don't know whether he Jamie wanted, like, Peters his name. Yes, yeah. Sorry, how did you know that? You know too much. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Jamie was yeah. He whether he didn't care or what, but he he, he was in, he played. He must have played ten or fifteen games straight in a row, like consistent, did very well, whatever. Parked his new Range Rover right outside the manager's office window. You know, so and the lads are coming here going, like, why are you parking there? Like you better move it. Like he's like, I oh, know I'll be all right. All right. Like so every day, like there was a training list. So there was an under 23 training list and a first team training list. And there was a few players, senior players that Roy didn't want in the squad. So they were away with the 23s. Jamie's name comes up. It's, it's, it's there about an hour before training. Jamie's name is up on the 23s. And I was like, shouldn't have parked there, lad. Like, so we're all, we're all out in the training pitch. And Roy's normally out first, but he wasn't out that day. And I remember him coming out. And the 23s are over the corner training in another pitch. Jamie's obviously over there with them. And he calls all us in. And um, basically, basically like has, has a go with us. And um, said, like, see that? So and so over there, like, um, give him a new contract. He's walking around and he, he's like throwing it back in my face by parking his brand new Range Rover in, in, like, in front of my office. Like, said, who the hell do you think you are? Like, you got to earn that. You got it. Like, and he mm. was like, and he just goes, went back off and train. Like, and then like that was he didn't he wasn't in the near the first team, probably for, I say a month after that. Like he punished him bad. Like you know for three or four games and. That's how harsh he could have been, like you know, and and eventually you'll just lose players, especially modern day footballers. You're just gonna you're just gonna lose players over time if you if if you do that, like you know, um, like you'd always be watching players and and their, I suppose their their demeanor and, and how they are around the training pitch. Like you, lads come out with laces open and and he he'd hammer them for them. He'd like he'd maybe not there and then, but he'd wait for an opportunity and go well. You cost us the game there because you came out and training on Thursday with your laces <laughs> open. Like, but that, that that's that's happening. But that's just the way he is. Like he has the highest standards of, of where he was at. And if you're at Man United and your standards drop, you're probably left behind. Like so, I think maybe the another side of along with having a good number two. I think if he now this is just my opinion. Like he like look, he's done a lot more in the game than me. But along with that, I just think if he was just a little bit more. <sighs> Probably the standards. I don't think he was able to drop his standards a, a little bit. To come down, remember, they could yeah. go from Premier League, the top of the Premier League, to the Championship. Like, and it's maybe a middle of the road Championship club or team, I suppose, at that time, like that were kind of fighting for that mid-table kind of position at times. Like, and uh, I just think it was maybe his standards were were overly high, and and, and lads couldn't meet them. QPR is your next move. Was it your decision to leave Ipswich, or was it kind of like, I know it's time to move on now? They they don't want me here. Um, I suppose when 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 Roy left, I, I was there, I said I broke my ankle. So for the rest of that season, I was out. Like I was overall, I was out for eight months. And Paul Jewell had come in, and sure, I was doing my rehab. And obviously, he'd heard things about me that I was a good ladder and a place to train and whatever and, and and stuff like that. But he pulled me in. He pulled me in around March and said, "Look, we'd like to offer you a two new a two year contract." extension like and I'm like I didn't expect that to be honest like, and I was like right okay like he said look I said I don't know obviously you're coming back from injury we got to see in pre-season I said I can't guarantee anything whether you're going to play whether you're going to be number two or, or we put you out on loan or whatever like that's up to yourself when you come back and I was like right okay um, 
but in between that, like I found it tough, um, probably mentally, I suppose, out with the broken ankle. I was like, you know, I found the rehab side of it really, really tough. Like I've never been out for that long. Like at worst, I've been out for a few weeks or whatever with niggles or whatever, but to be out with a broken ankle, not being able to do what you, you kind of go out and enjoy every day. And that was tough. And I, and I kind of said to myself, like, again, it was kind of a toss of the coin. Will I sign or will I take a chance? And again, my agent was like saying, like, look, it's a, it's a decent enough offer. Like you're out with a broken ankle. Like there's not going to be too many opportunities for you. Like, um, you know, one, you don't know if you pass a medical somewhere else and stuff. So it was kind of like, what, well, right, what do I do? Like, um, and I went into the manager and he was like, what do you think? Like, I'd say, look, I think I'm going to move on. Like, and he goes like, well, like, do you have something else? And I was like, no, like, and he's like, said, well, we're offering you a two-year contract. Like, and like, we're out with a broken ankle. And I was like, I know that. Yeah. So look, I just think, I just think like, look, you have your own idea. I just feel that like, you know, I'm going to be another two or three months on the, like before I feel fully right. And he goes, well, you're back training now. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm limping around. And he goes, oh, I was going to play you next week against, I was like three games left in the end, to the end of the season. I was going to play it. It was the, the second last game. I'm going to play away at Leicester. And I'm like, no, you weren't. <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't trained with the first, I've been out with the physios and out with like the goalkeeping coach on my own trying to, like, but he was kind of saying that going like, oh, like, um, like, you know, I was, I was really going to play you, like, and I was like, how are you? Like, he was only saying that because I turned on the contract and goes, look, I'm not going to play you now, obviously, am I? Like, and I was like, grand, okay, look, time to move on. Um, a lot of the players, like, you know, a few players moved on that year, but in the back of my head, I was thinking, right, look, I have to back myself sometime. I said, look, do I want to stay here and, and find something that I'm going to be happy at? And I went down for a few more weeks and then obviously QPR, um, QPR kind of, um, was in the background the mage and had a, a, a connection and he heard that they were looking for a number two like and I remember him ringing me up and he goes like um, like how how would you feel about being number two QPR and I'm thinking myself going like is this like is this a proper conversation or is it just something you're hearing that they're looking for someone he's like no I've, I've already spoke to the manager like he's heard about you the goalkeeping coach has heard more about you they're looking in there like they'd like to maybe take you in like and I'm like going and I'm thinking going like right I'm limping around I don't I haven't trained properly I said how am I going to pass a medic and I just said look in my head I'm this all this stuff so I just said look get me in there like if you can this is just got promoted mm. to the Premier League I'm thinking going this is this you couldn't make it up really like you know I thought like I'd be going back to Ireland or I'd be going somewhere else and I was like yeah look I suppose London was an attraction as well in terms of where it was and it was probably a bit more to do maybe in the evenings yourself rather than being in Ipswich or whatever and I was like well the whole package seems great like and a couple of more weeks went by it was a bit quiet because the club was being the old owners to the new owner um, was trying to be agreed the club was trying to be agreed to be sold and, and Tony Fernandez, who ended up being the owner was negotiating so eventually came to the point where I got offered a contract and um, it was obviously you know contracts you have to your agent goes in negotiates and um they wouldn't kind of come to where I wanted. And then when I went to sign the contract or the agent looked over the contract before I signed it, yeah, it had changed. So we just got up and walked out and he rang around and said, look, the, um, Gianni, who was the CEO at the time for um, Bria Tori, was the old owner, kind of pulled, trying to pull a fast one on, on, I don't know, a sign on fee, I think, or something like that or whatever. And um, we walked out and I'm like, get back in there I don't want to sign the bloody thing like at the moment I know it's a little bit less but like, like if I pull mm. it now the opportunity could be gone and 
Neil basically said to the audience, look, go away. I was meant to play in a pre-season game two days later, or half a game with, um, with Paddy Kenny um, and that like. And uh, basically, like he just said, look, give it a week. Don't turn up to the game. Um, I'll have a go at the, the owner and the board and say, look, we need a goalkeeper in. This is what I want and whatever. So basically, in between the week, I signed the club had sold, transferred hands, so it, like the contract was gone and then I got a new contract, which was better. So I was like, well, this is great. New owner came in and obviously got it sorted and stuff. And the manager basically said to me, said, look, Paddy Kenny's my number one. Paddy Kenny will be my number one, whether he plays good or bad or indifferent or, like, you know, he's he's my goalkeeper. Like, I just want you to come in, be number two. You play the cup games. And I was like, brilliant. Like, and here, and I can think going, like, I'm not fully right yet, mate. I'm still limping away. But obviously I knew over time that I'd get better and better and then I'd, I'd improve and, and then stuff like that. Like I went in and I was buzzing really. I just enjoyed it. Like enjoyed the ride, enjoyed the experience. Um, you know, the Neil didn't last too long. I think it was about six months and he got he got the sack, like, you know, but um, you know, very thankful for the opportunity at that stage, you know, considering where I was at. He's mentioning that to you though, you come in, you be number two, was surely that's part of your thinking. Like once I play well and stuff, you have to put me in if he plays bad. Is that not in your head? Um, yeah, like in, in look, you take you take what a manager says to with a grain of salt because obviously results and performances on the pitch will dictate you how it goes. But I knew from speaking to people and I, I knew Paddy previously as well a little bit that you know obviously Neil rated him highly and he was kind of Paddy's guy and um and vice versa, I suppose. But it was just the case like. I was just happy like to be able to get in at that level again. Like I had experience at the Man City, I'd been in the championship with Ipswich or whatever. And it's like, look, if I don't take this opportunity now, regardless of playing or not, I said I might regret it. Like, you know, and again and again, obviously the contract you're offered and stuff, like it's hard to say no to it, like, you know, and it, like it would have been more than what is on at Ipswich and stuff like that. It's just I said the whole package of it weighed up like it's kind of like look this is a hell of an opportunity for me like I signed a, I think I signed a two-year contract initially and I was like look I grabbed it with both hands and and, and try my best now I, I picked up a couple of injuries at the start or well midway through that season and Paddy got injured as well he tore his hip muscle in the same game that I tore my calf and I think that was down to coming back with the ankle stuff um and he was out for a month and I was out for a month so I missed actually <laughs> I missed an opportunity yeah, there like yeah, and I kind of, I always kind of, probably the highest level, I always seem to, I suppose, just, you know, just sometimes the wrong time, maybe an injury or something would happen. And I, I just, I, I maybe missed. Now, there's no guarantee. It was Radic Cherney was there as well, who was who was third choice at the time. Like, for all I know, he could have played him, but like, I felt I was doing well enough in training. And I found a bit of form that I would, I'd be able to maybe get in the team and, and do well, but... I couldn't believe my luck that when I tore my calf, Paddy tore his hip at the same time and both of us were on the treatment table together. Like it was kind of, you know, and then obviously I think a couple of weeks later, Neil left and um, Mark Hughes came in then like to the end of the season and, and the club basically went on. Like we were down the bottom two or three and I think we won our last five or six out of the last nine or ten to go on a hell of a run to stay up. Like, you know, and, and, and like... It was a hell of an experience to, to be able to do that because we thought we were dead and buried, to be honest, um, midway through the season. Yeah. Like, you, know. you, you talk about like, uh, that's why that was the last day of the air you had with City when the league was it? No, that was the. Um, 
Was that the season after? No, sorry, that would have been that season. Yeah, correct. 2012, was it? Was that the 11 or 2012? Yeah, 12, yeah. 12, was yeah. That, so, were you at the game? Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, I was on the bench. Uh, I wasn't number two, but we were like, I was behind the bench, really. I was number yeah. three because obviously Raddick got in in them games and he done very well for when Mark Hughes came in. And obviously he left him as number two, which was kind of like, you know, I'm kind of sitting on the sides going, Jesus, like, I definitely missed a chance here. Like, and, you know, um, see how I go with them, but whatever. But that last game, like, was incredible. Like, I was, I've never, I've yet to experience that in like it in terms of an atmosphere. Um, in terms of the tension around the place um, and stuff like that, I suppose I suppose I can only compare it to maybe I was lucky enough to be in the squad for the Ireland game against France for the the, the two qualifiers. You know, I think that was the closest thing to it in terms of like atmosphere and and everything. But it was just so like with everything that went on with Joey on the pitch and what he was doing and and you know he thought he was doing the team a favor and stuff by trying to me when the lads to take you know to try injure them and, and maybe get a reaction and get one of their players sent off which you know I suppose in the madness of it all kind of half made sense like whether he was actually deliberately doing that at the time and he was kind of calm enough to do that and, and, and calculate I don't know but like to be to be leading the game with a few minutes to go obviously like lost the game at the end but I think that kind of kept us up because we were depending on another result as well. I think we stoked done as a favour against, um, I can't even remember who was the other team. Bolton, down was, it? was it Bolton? Bolton, that's right, yeah. Um, Johnny Walter scored, I remember that, for Stoke, I think. And um, it kind of like, obviously, in the last game of the season, fans and things filter through what the score is and probably disbelief around the league that QPR beat Man City when yeah. we needed something to stay up and they were going for the league, you know. And But like, you know, look, I think they had something like 30 something corners in that second half. <laughs> like, um, so they had all the uh, all the ball, all the chances, and all that. Like, but um, it was just it was just incredible. It just went bonkers. I just remember the final whistle going, and everyone was celebrating. We were celebrating for staying up, they were celebrating with the league, and it was just it was just chaos. Like, it was just um, an incredible experience. Like, you see so much drama on, on the day and look at that will be forever coming up on our, our TV screens that game in terms of how they won it like you know and it's um, you know always remember the, the commentator saying Aguero and stuff like that it kind of sits in your sits in your mind a little bit but it's um, yeah it was a great experience to be there I suppose you've uh, like QPR had some some players but like a lot of stories I hear about lads um, one name when I'm listening to stuff who keeps popping up is well two names sorry is Tarap and Bothroyd uh, I think someone mentioned to me about, or I was listening to Bart Roy turning up and was at a different club about uh, in his England tracksuit after getting the cap. What, what kind of guy was he like? When you're on a boat, I don't think he would have went really with Roy Keane, though, from what I'm hearing. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, look, he was, he'd, he'd done, I think he'd done well at Cardiff um, the, a couple of seasons before that or whatever and got moved to QPR. But, like, look, if me and you were going for a point and he was there with us we probably wouldn't ask him to join us like put it that way like you know what I mean it's kind of he was just he, he wasn't the worst of them to be honest he wasn't he was just a bit like like kind of way in the fair reasons in terms of he's, he's kind of fairly outspoken now on, on Twitter I believe in terms of saying things about clubs previous clubs being that in terms of their form and, and that like and I'm like well you didn't exactly turn up every day yourself when you were training, like you know what I mean, or on, on or on the match day, like even though he probably tell you he did, like um, 
But Tarat, like, um, like in fairness to him, he's probably turned the corner the last couple of seasons. He's back playing for mm. Benfica, and and like, in my opinion, if he had the right attitude and the right people behind them, he should be playing for someone like Barcelona or Real Madrid or one of the top that teams. That like. good? No, seriously, I've never and and we've all a lot of his old players always discussed that like if he. Like, if I had half of his ability, like, I would have had some career, like, you know what I mean? My God, like, if he he could, like, he, he, he could never, like, he taught him a dribbling and, and ability to beat a player and to beat a player again and, and to have the full package in terms of going forward. Like, I've never, like, I've never played with anyone like him. But in terms of his personality and stuff, that let him down, like, a lot of the lads, he was just, he just wasn't an a nice person the stories I've heard now I didn't see a lot of it with my own eyes before I came to the club that how he treated the staff around the place how he treated the dinner ladies and stuff and I think it was Mark Hughes they gave him was it Mark Hughes or Harry maybe Harry they gave him a, a new contract and it was probably the worst thing they could do like they probably doubled or trebled his money that he was on because there was lots of talk of him going here there and everywhere but he just got after he said he just got heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier like and just couldn't do it like he'd be blown out of his backside after 10 minutes of training like but but that one time that he would get the ball in training I remember he used to, yeah. used to wear like he used to wear these tracksuit buttons in the top and he had a hat on and when he was in the mood like someone like passing the ball or whatever and the hat would come off and everyone saw when everyone saw the hat come off and oh like we might be playing a five-a-side or like a, a three-quarter size game or whatever like he would just get the ball and he'd not make two or three players and put in the top bins and then, like, you go over to the side and he basically on his knees like that going, but ability-wise, ability-wise incredible. As I said, like, he, if, he, if he had the right people around him, um, Barcelona, he should be he should be playing there. But I think the big downfall for that club at that time with the money that was thrown about and the money they were paying, like, I think it was a little bit of arrogance because we, we stayed up because another club did us a favour. We kind of came in and we started signing... I just the recruitment was poor. I thought, like in terms of trying to mm. stay up and 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 whatever else, like so. I just think like they signed like the Chris Samba, Bozingo off Chelsea. Um, remember Sean Wright Phillips, like great lad, just maybe the wrong end of his career in terms of yeah. getting the best out of him. Like just just the, a lot of the recruitment was wrong. Like and like. They they wanted to go from barely staying up to I remember we were they were discussing like bonuses and 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 win bonuses and and you know if you stay in the league get a bonus whatever like and they didn't want any bonuses from uh tenth down so if you finished tenth above you would have got a bonus the players like kind of going doesn't like we barely stayed up like how are you going to go from there and like he was like how are you going to go from there to make that big jump in one season like or in one in one um transfer window in the summer like. And the players didn't really believe what he was saying, and, and and it was just like, like I think we we didn't win in the first sixteen games, and obviously with Mark Hughes before he came to the club, I was thinking like, yeah, like Sparky, like you know, he's a, I've heard he's fiery and I heard he's this, like he was just he just wasn't like I was whether he just got too comfortable in in the job or whatever, or I I he just had this belief that look, we keep playing the way we're playing, we'll win games and stuff, um. And he just didn't like we we I think we had a couple of draws, but we won one and sixteen. And ultimately, like that season, he got the sack. Harry Redknapp came in, and we got relegated. Like we we're just way off it. Like, but again, players are down tools for the manager. They're on huge amount of money. Like, um, like they signed like Paddy Kenny had left after that season. We stayed up. Rob Green had come in. 
I spoke to the manager. He said, "Look, I want to, I want you to be my number two. You've trained brilliantly without too many chances. You know, I, I know you, you you were number three last year, but I want you to be number two." So it was like brilliant. Like Rob Green came in, went to Malaysia preseason. Rob didn't do well in the preseason games. You know, I was doing okay, but I knew I was never going to be number one. Next minute, like who uh, Cesar comes through the door, like and like I don't know exactly what money, but I know. Greeny was probably on 50 grand a week and then three weeks later they signed Julio for 120 grand a week and Greeny's gone like what the hell like you know because obviously yeah. he's clearly he's clearly coming as number one like so then he's obviously brought him in and like the club just went bonkers on wages for a while and, and a few more came in that summer like and it was just it was just lads that were like Julio's a great lad but he was 34 you know left into Milan and stuff like that and, it, and like for lads coming from having so much success actually trying to scrap around the Premier League, you know, it, it doesn't work like that, you know, it doesn't, it was just, I I just couldn't, like the stories of it, like lads not, just not turning up for like treatment in the afternoon if they were injured or whatever, and like lads were getting fined a week's wages, but for some of them lads it was a hundred grand. And, That's ridiculous, like it, was there not, a, who was the captain in the dressing room, like who pulled, was there any leadership in the dressing room to say, what the hell on, like? There was, there was, but uh, what happened with the club was, so you had, the group of players there that um, had got the club up, their money would have gone up a little bit or whatever, maybe doubled or whatever from like, you know, maybe tens to your twenties or whatever. But then the, you have all these players that come in that, yes, maybe more ability, but just didn't show up every day. For, and, and the lads that were there were worked hard or whatever. Most of them worked hard and, and that, they believed in working hard in the training pitch. And then they, there was a massive divide in the end of that season just because players that come in like the foreign lads can be difficult like if you're in a good environment with them and they're winning games they're great as soon as you start losing mm-hmm. games you just down down tools like they just like no I'm injured or I'm not playing like I that season like even Julio like as much as he was a nice lad or whatever like he he played 25 minutes in a game or half an hour in a game and he'd be unbelievable like wouldn't um you know looked on beat like pulling saves out of everywhere and like and going wow like what a goalkeeper as soon as the first goal go in that was him done, like you know, and then he would be injured every second game because he knew the team wasn't doing well. When Greeny would play, then I was on the bench then, like probably on the bench for nearly half the games that season, which an enormous season if you're number three, like yeah. you shouldn't really be involved, like unless there's a unless there's a proper injury. But it was like every second or third game, and Greeny sitting on the bench and going, "I'm coming, I bet you I'm coming on in this game." And I'm like, "You bet you are as well." Like in the amount of games he came on, and it was it was kind of crazy as well. But it was just like. Like the owners, I think, were probably naive, and like I think they had a CEO at the time that the CEO would go like, "I have to be strict with my budget, like that's the max we can go to for this player." But then the the owner would be behind ringing the player behind the CEO's back and going, "Like, don't mind that. Look, what do you need? I'll give you the money to get you over the line." Like, so the, so there was kind of like they were just throwing money left and mm. centre. They wrote off a hundred, I think it was they wrote off a hundred and eighty million in debt, like as as personal debt for the owners, three of them, like which is. You know, it just sums up where the where the club was probably where, where the probably was at for a few years. And obviously, if you look at the club now, to the club back then, like they're obviously a lot stricter in how they how they run their business. Yeah, um, moved into Portsmouth happened. How what happened? Paul Cook linked with that was he manager at the time when you went to Portsmouth? Because that's a yeah. great club. I always say when when I played against them, I was like, it's actually one of the best atmospheres I've ever played in. Yeah, Fratton Park was, was was brilliant. Obviously, the club had been um, out of luck for a couple of years in terms of like dropping down the leagues or whatever. Um, obviously, again, probably a club off the field, probably poorly run and 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 money going everywhere. But 
Um, basically, look, I, I I'd spent four years at QPR, and look, I hadn't played many games, and um, I remember meeting Les Ferdinand, and he was like, "Look, I think we're just we're going to change the squad. We're going to go with a younger squad." And I think I was thirty three or thirty four at the time, still relatively young, I suppose, as a goalkeeper, even a couple of years ahead, of you, I suppose, but. Um, he just said, "Look, we're going to move, move on, and like we're not going to offer you a contract." And I was like, "Fair enough." Like, um, and then I remember being on holiday in Portugal with some friends and stuff, and um, speaking age, and like, like, really, like, just sit tight because normally in a goalkeeping like the way it is now, like most clubs need two or three goalkeepers, senior goalkeepers in the club, like so you kind of have to sit tight over summer and you hear things and then things cool down. But I remember being in, on holiday, and funny enough, Portsmouth were in the same places on holiday so I, I happened to run into a couple of the lads I was chatting to them and was like oh you go up and you go up and train with them like but him I I didn't know until the time but my agent was Paul Cook's agent as well so obviously right. they were talking he was looking for a goalkeeper whatever but and it wasn't something in the back of my head like yeah big club but I, I was like do I really want to drop down to league two I always said to myself look I wouldn't and he just look would you sign a six-month contract and then maybe get a move in January and play some games whatever um and that was it. I, I remember signing the day before this, the, um, the start of the season. I had no real pre-season. I think I had about two or three sessions, whatever. So I didn't feel right or whatever. And I played, did all right in the first probably 10, 11 games, then tore my um, tore my groin like fairly badly. I was out for five or six weeks then. Came back, played a couple more games, tore my calf. Um, I just was like, kind of, oh my god! Like, and, and I think that was just down to not having a preseason, not having. A, I was doing a lot of road running and trying to stay fit different ways when you know when you're on holiday mm. and stuff, and probably didn't help me either. Like, but um, you know, um, it just wasn't, it just never happened for me fully there. To be honest, I could never find, I could never find the form that I wanted to find. That maybe I, ha- I felt I had a QPR, or maybe the confidence was maybe gone a little bit from dropping down the leagues, um, and then just having the I suppose, like inconsistency of playing a few games and being injured. Like I've never been. I I, I think a QPR. I think I bar bar the one injured the same as Paddy. I was very, I was rarely injured. Like you know, I was rarely injured. Like um, but I just couldn't find form. And then I remember they just missed out in the playoffs. At the end of that season, uh, got beaten in the semi final playoff to Plymouth. I think I was injured. Um, and he just said, "What do you want to do?" And I just said, "Look, like I don't. My heart's not in it at the moment." Like um said whatever he, there's a lot of reasons but uh, I, I don't know what I want to do like um, I kind of half thought about like giving it up to be honest at that time I was like like I, I didn't want to be I, at the time I said like oh, I didn't really want to go back to Ireland initially to play but I didn't want to go down the bottom leagues and be in league two and, and, and whatever in, in, in England I just didn't I just didn't see it. I think I could have maybe come home and maybe earned the same money in Ireland, roughly, like, you know, and, and be a bit happier or whatever. But um, then, look, I had a summer off and eventually I just told the agents, look, I, like, I, I have no interest in going back to Portsmouth. And um, I actually had met, I had one or two contacts here about the League of Ireland and I had a couple of months, I said I had a couple of months off, so I got a bit of hunger. Um, I was like, you know, what? I'm, I'm feeling good again, I'm feeling good in my body and whatever. And um, I met, a couple of clubs here and Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers and stuff and I was actually close enough to sign up for Dundalk um, I'd went and I'd signed the contract but something in me now it was the day the day after I'd signed for Cardiff but Cardiff was on and off over the course of the summer like and um, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't like I, whether Stephen Kenny believes me now or not. Like I, I remember sitting there going, "See, look, I'm not going to sign." He goes, well, "What are you going to do?" Like it's like I don't know, look, but I'm going to have to sit tight. Like I'm going to have to wait it out. Like, a, um, it's just not exactly what I want. Like you know, and the next day I'm actually I'm only I'm actually driving around from that meeting. I'm driving down from that meeting. I got a call and said, "Can you get back up to Dublin Airport and get over to Cardiff?" Like and I was like, "What? Well, it's on, like." And he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Um." Rang my girlfriend and my wife now at the time, and she um, at the time I'm still married. To her. <laughs> um, uh, it goes look, Carlos back on like, and I'm thinking myself going, Stephen Kenny's going to be like and going like, oh my god, like he's absolutely bullshitting me here, like you know what yeah. I mean? It's kind of like, and it just was it wasn't that way, like, and, I, and to this day I he probably still thinks like, oh well, he's he's lied to me about the contract, like you know I, um, I had a few things that I said look at the time, so look I'm few things on that I can't commit to at this time and went over to Cardiff and met the manager signed the contract he initially said look I want you to be come in be a bit of they two younger goalkeepers I said look, I want you to be a bit of experience just get in training get your pre-season catch up with everyone and, and we'll see where we're at like and, like it happened so quickly and at the time I was like right another opportunity to get back up into the championship and, and, and maybe have another go at it like you know did you get any abuse Signing for Cardiff, having played with Swansea. Ah no, that was no, not really. No, it was, it was never a big enough name for. I say half the Cardiff fans probably still didn't know ever played for Swansea to be honest. But um, I know it was. I think it was ten or twelve years in between the times I played, so it wasn't as if I was signing in from one club to the other, you know. So, um, but look, just to have the opportunity to go to Cardiff and and and, and again a big club and. Again, everything fitted right, you know, the contract and, and, and whatever else. Look, I like I've always got the question, like when I went to the like I did so well at Bowes and then to go over to the UK and I, I probably played 50, 60 games in the eight, nine, ten years that I was over there, like, which is not a lot, like, but then I always say like to myself, like, right, look, I'm in this, I have one chance at it, I'm gonna aim as high as I can. If I fall short at that club, then so be it. But I think I would have regretted not going to them clubs and maybe going, no, yeah. I want to go play. I want to be adamant I want to play. Um, I think probably the reason why I lasted probably so long at each club and got another contract, a second contract, uh, uh, probably mo- or offered a second contract at most clubs I was at is because the way I was around the place and I made sure that that, that was just the way it was. Like, I was just like, you know, football's a short, you have a short, um, short window to get things right, whether it's, your contract or whether it's your own your career like if you don't if you don't um, if you don't get it right in that year or two and like look certain players just get moves just by their name like which is fair enough like but most of us have to earn it like as well like you know and I always felt I had to earn my contract even when I signed if I signed the contract tomorrow I always felt right I have to go prove a point to get my next contract and I've been very lucky in that way that you know I I I, I I was at a fairly high level most of them, albeit I didn't play the games I would have liked to play in. But, um, you know, again, I was at Cardiff um, and I got an opportunity. And when Neil came in, the manager, I got second, Neil Warner came in, funny enough, and he wanted to play me. And I, I played a number of games for him, did did really well. Um, but ultimately, he saw me as a number two, like, and he, he the goalkeeper that was playing, he wanted him out. And he said, look, I, I need to get him out of the building. I didn't want him around the play. I think he's a jinx. Neil was very superstitious. Um, and he like he'd have a dream the next day, and he could have a team picked on a Friday. He'd have a dream and come in the next day and change. And he, he he's done that with a player before. I think a striker said, "I dreamed that you're going to I heard score." That his wife. 
his, his wife, wife had a dream, dream wasn't yeah, his wife had a dream and he played and then he, I think he scored or something so but he was very very superstitious in his ways and that like but um, look at he after he brought in he brought in Alan McGregor after that and I was disappointed with that and I said look like I think I deserve to stay in the team and he goes look if I'm taking him Hull have said that he has to play like I said look you've changed our season like I went in whether it's just by maybe time and everything but I went in I think we played seven or eight games and I think we won or we were unbeaten in, in six of them or something like that you know so um, whereas before like they they were inconsistent and losing a lot of games like but I think it was just a lot of elements came came together at the right time but but again, that earned me another contract off the back of that. You know what I mean, and, and mm. it gave me another chance. But um, you know, it was it was just a good experience again. And you know, again, I went in every day and, and tried to work hard and 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 prove people that I deserve to be there. Really. No, and when you changed kits, was there a bit of uproar in Cardiff about that, like going from blue to red? So, like, um, yeah, the the Cardiff fans. Like uh, the owner, like Vincent Tan, he uh, red is a very, a, a very superstitious where they're from. Like, and um, red is a good luck color for them. So basically, like mm-hmm. he wanted, built an, a new tier, another tier on the stadium to make it a thirty thousand tier. So there's red on top of one, the one tier. He wanted the red, red jerseys, whatever, and it went down like a lead balloon with the Cardiff fans. Um, and look, I suppose being an owner of a football club, you have to have a thick skin and. He stuck with it, like you know, and he'd be there in his red jersey, would tucked up. If you ever saw a picture of him, like he's a, he's a kind of a funny looking man in terms of like his appearance, I suppose, in terms of how he like he even dresses, I suppose, as well. But look, he's he's clearly a, a clever man, and you know it, the business and, and and his wealth, I suppose, speaks for itself. But look, he got it right in the end, and he changed back, and he won the fans over, and obviously we'd end up getting promoted get, from considering the season before like was a struggle for the club and we ended up finishing mid-table or whatever and and and, and you know I suppose success in any football club you can get away with a bit more and mm. obviously I remember when we got promoted so the fans went from actually not liking the owner to basically carrying them around the pitch after when we got promoted like you know what I mean so you know obviously if we'd lost every game that season they'd want Vincent Tan to sell the club and, and change owners and change managers and that but Success is everything in a football club because it brings everything together, like whether it's finances, whether it's uh, um, the team, whether it's promotion, winning championships or whatever. Like that's, you know, in, in sports, you, you, you're, you're demanding victory or wins because, it, you know, that's how your business runs because if you're successful then everything else comes together. Like, And just looking at your international career, you talked earlier there about playoff against France what was the dressing room like after that handball incident bit of disbelief I suppose I always remember in the stadium and everyone like literally I think everyone in the stadium could see it by the officials like it was just like we were on the side of the dugout or at the dugout side or whatever and you could you could see the handball a mile off and then all the the replay went up and it, and it showed that I think there was a replay up with the goal and you could see the handball and the goal, the camera angles on it, whatever. Mm. The players were trying to look at the referee, look at thing, but he wouldn't have it, and he stuck to his guns. And I just remember being in the dressing room after, and um, Trapattoni was there, and he was just going off in Italian. Marco Tardelli, like the two of them, was going nuts in Italian for 10, 15 minutes, and the players were like, like a bit down, a bit disbelief what happened, and um, it was just surreal, really. Like it was just. 
What I can okay. never understand, though, what I always think in my head is everyone says we got robbed, we would have been in the World Cup, but the game would have went to penalties still. So there was no guarantee you were going through anyway. Like this law, whatever, we got a compensation payment, the FAI, but like there's no guarantee. So I don't want that anyone ever just turn around and go, we might, probably would have lost anyway in penalties like or something, you know. The, the, com- the compensation's another John Delaney story, but <laughs> that for, there's better people to speak about that. But there's not many nations will go looking for compensation for losing a football match. Um, I know. You're right. You're like, right, I just think, like, I just think it's how it happened and how the game ended. It was just like it was over and that was it. And like, if you look at the image, I mean, there's always an image of uh, Henri and, and, and Dunny, Richard Dunn, sitting on the grass after the game. Like, yeah. He, that's smug. He probably can't believe he got away with it either. Like, you know what I mean? And how, like, how the hell? But yeah, sad way to do the football game. But you're right. Look, there was no guarantees to get on. But I suppose if they hadn't scored, like, that's as good as I've seen Ireland play against a top, a top mm-hmm. team in a long, long time. Like, um, I, I remember the first game at home, and the players weren't happy with the tactics of of of. of of how they play and it was a bit defensive sit off and and, and and try stay in the game rather than like feeling like you look at the players they had at that time it was a, it was a fairly decent team like that you know that that 11 anyway like um, I remember we were setting up for the game the, the next day and I think the players took it upon themselves to be a bit braver like it wasn't in what Trapatoni wanted but I think the players were a bit more braver and going forward and, and, and saying look yeah, look, he can argue the goal, the handball changed everything. Of course it did, but ultimately, like we didn't, we didn't score on the pitch either. Like, well, so what happened there? You're saying the players decided did they get in, get into a room and say, listen, like when he tells us to be defensive, we're not doing that or what? You know what it's like on a football pitch. Sometimes, like the manager will have his tactics, and the players would, would just see something different. They probably felt, you know as the course of the game went on, like, because we've one chance of this, like, we're in the game here, we're actually playing quite well, like, just, like, maybe pass the ball a bit more, more more than he probably wanted and, and, and go at mm. them. Stick to a tactic that probably wouldn't have won you the game. Now, maybe the tactic would have got you the draw and you would have got the penalties or you would have, you know, or who knows what way it would have ended up, but, um, you know, I, I think sometimes the way Tony and, and Marco Taratelli with the English, the barrier of getting things across from my experience now, look, I hadn't played, I was only, I was in the squad eight or nine times with him, but I was always in his number three or whatever, his backup, yeah. so better players than, than me to be able to to, uh, to speak about it, but I just felt, and, and, and what the feeling was, the group that we kind of like, you know, we're going to kind of play our way a little bit, like, you know, and, you know, it just fell short, unfortunately, like, one final question, Brian. You work with a list of top keepers. Who's who's the number one? Bar myself, is it? <laughs> Bar yourself. Bar yourself. Oh, well, you could be considered number two in O'Brien, do you know? <laughs> number three, that'd probably be more yeah. I looked it's just different. Look at going way back. Don't sit in the fence, no. Give me a name, no. Give me a name. In terms of how I worked with them or how they were as a goalkeeper? As in terms of who would you say was the best quality? Not as a person, anything like that, best quality. What they've done in their career? Yeah. No, like, as in, you've worked with, say, like, 
every keep you go, he was the best. I would have been happy to say, look, he was better than me. He was unbelievable. There's no, there's no better than him I've played with or walked with. See, I'd probably say I'd probably say Schmeichel, but then I because like, any other goalkeeper looked at it, no matter whether it was Rob Green or Julio Cesar and the games, the amount of games they played, I always felt now I always felt short. I always felt I could compete with them because I was I was at a stage yeah. where actually classed as a number two or classed as a number three. That I was in competing every day with them. That I didn't think they were a whole lot better. It's just that I think they had that like more experience of playing at a higher level and they've had more matches and obviously been given away more opportunities than than maybe I had. Um because when I went over and I, especially when I signed for QPR, I had a couple of moves after I was probably classed as like, oh, he's a good number two for you. Like, you know, he won't let you down whatever. But you know, I think managers like their number ones and number twos and number threes or whatever. And they like to stick at that unless there's really a massive change. But like Peter probably Peter Schmeichel in terms of what he did. Um, I think Julio probably, you know, if you look at what he did in like Brazil and Inter Milan, and he was incredible, like from a distance, like you know, and again, similar probably size to me or whatever. Look, I always felt like maybe if I was six foot two or six foot three, I'd probably be, I'd probably have a few more games under my belt. Like, I always generally, yeah. maybe sometimes managers kind of got in the head that, like, oh, maybe I'm not tall enough or whatever, like, but you know. Six foot one is not big enough, but like, like I always model myself off Shay, and I like you know the way Shay trains and the way Shay like Shay be up there for me. Shay given like I think like that was incredible training by him, like and seeing how how he conducted himself on the training pitch and, and his ability, like and obviously again like he never got probably the top moves to a Man United or Arsenal as much as it was muted maybe because he didn't come for crosses like and that's. Maybe that was just that's just my opinion, but I think that's how his career went. That like it was so many times he was linked with Arsenal, and then going thinking, why haven't they took a chance on him? Like, yeah, especially the keeping problems they had throughout the years. Must be a reason. Like, and I just think it's because like and a lot a few players have come out since they know that he's a goal line goalkeeper as they call it. But you know, he, he kind of defended. But like, to, I, I'm lucky to a lot of goalkeepers I worked at that you know on paper like are unbelievable but then when they come in the building you kind of go oh well like you're good but and like you're yeah. but like I feel like I'm there with you it's just I couldn't get managers to believe that I was better anyway better than them. like you know maybe I'm being maybe I'm too um blinkered in terms of where I'm at with it but I mean like just in terms of training with them and then you have a different view from watching someone off in the distance or watching them on match today or watching them on, the, on, on sky now in terms of going like geez a hell of a keeper like and, and, and all of them that I've played with have had very, very good careers. Like, you know, I've, I've had a I've had a, a fraction of what they've done in their, in their careers. But, um, you know, I would probably say, like, look, I'll give you, I'd probably say Schmeichel, Shea Given, and a toss-up between um, Julio Cesar and even Greeny was good, like, even good to train with and see how he trained and stuff like Rob Green and that, but... I would say they're them, them, them three or four probably the, the top. Not bad company, not bad names. Like, like as I said, I'm I'm very lucky. I probably don't I probably don't appreciate it enough that maybe the goalkeepers I have learned off and they, look, you take a little bit off everybody and um, some good and some bad. Try you put it into your own game, I suppose. But I mean, like, you know, I, I suppose eighteen years old, and you see Peter Schmeichel coming through the door, like, and 
he's about he's as wide as he is tall like you know what I mean so he's kind of yeah wanting in that way but I mean um you know that was he, he was he was very good in fairness like in the career he's had like obviously his son has kicked on again like which I didn't probably when he was a bit younger I didn't think he'd have the career that he has had but like he's turned into an incredible keeper as well like so um yeah so the he I remember Casper actually was there when he was 14 or 15 came in and trained when he was on a school holidays like um but he had his dad's arrogance you could see that if he got a chance he, would, he was going to be yeah. happy. he was a goalkeeper as well like listen Brie that's brilliant thanks for your time today want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com 